I'd like to reflect on what it means to be a Beit Yisrael, a house of Israel. Always leading up to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we're reading through the book of Deuteronomy. And one of the productive attentions that arises in the book is the loss that goes with closing down the local altar sites as the book focuses on the centralization in a single temple rather than in multiple altar sites going on. The tension between where one is a Jew and how one is a Jew in the awareness of it, actually, when you start to look for it, it's all over the Torah. And a simple example, many biblical scholars point out, we're commanded on Sukkot to live in our Sukkot for the full duration of the holiday, out with our harvest, protecting it, and connecting to God through staying out in the fields, as we are also commanded to go to the temple and spend at least part of the duration of the holiday there with our offerings. As scholars point out, can't be in two places at once. People look to halakha for certainty in troubled times. But actually, halakha, too, often manifests as the product of creative tensions. It often doesn't give the certainty we seek, but is revelatory when one looks close. I've been reflecting on what it's been like to be a community when we're not physically together. How has that felt? How has it been productive? Can we do a cheshbon nefesh of it? Can we look back as a community on our year and take a reckoning and accounting of how we got through it, what it felt like, what we want to keep and take into the future, and what we are happy to leave in our past? So what does halacha say about making a minion? I thought it was pretty simple because I remembered reading in the Shulchan Aruch in Orachayim 55, the ten who constitute the minion must be in one place, one geographical place, and the leader with them. Simple. Except for the next line. If a person is standing outside the synagogue and there is a window even if it is several stories high and smaller than four cubits or six feet wide, if that person shows their face in the window, they may be counted. And if a few of the potential minion, this is the next line, are inside and a few are outside, if the leader positions themselves in the entrance, then he connects them to form one minion. So, of course, I understood and was tested on the fact that this is clearly about physical location. One has to be in one room. I know that you don't count the people in the hallway. You don't count people who aren't paying attention just because you want to get to 10, but you know they're talking about something else, and all of that is elaborated on. But the principles are clear even within the halakha itself. The Tosafot on Pesachim 85b, in the name of Rabbeinu Yitzchak, summarize many of the positions going on about what the business with the window is. And they conclude that there are many cases in which you fulfill your obligations through listening. You can do Birkat Amazon and make three if the person's all the way down the street and you're yelling the Birkat, we forgot the Zimun together, Birkat Amazon, and they're like, yeah, yeah, Chavara Nevarech, you're all good. You can hear the shofar from a distance walking by a building by accident. You can hear the Megillah reading. So if there is a physical minion 
you certainly can count people outside the physical space if they can hear and the leader can hear them and they can fulfill their obligations like saying the Kaddish. Whoever knew or imagined in the medieval, late medieval, early modern legal code of the Shulchan Aruch that windows, seeing people visually, knowing that unlike the two people in the hallway that are talking about something else and you can't count, these people outside the window are intending to daven with you. They're intending to fulfill their obligations and they want to be with you. And so in the tshuva that has been published by the conservative movement and passed by a large majority, it is stated as an acceptable position that if a physical minion is constituted in a place, those who are joining by the windows of virtual technology of Zoom, if they can be seen and heard, maybe even just heard, because that's the law, but let's just say seen and heard in two-way communication, they can fulfill their obligations in the minion, like saying Kaddish. And the tshuva raises the question but doesn't answer, one that has recently been published just a year ago by Josh, Rabbi Josh Heller. Maybe we need to think a little bit more about those windows. Maybe we could constitute a minion without the physical space using the principles of halakha. In the 2001 tshuva, 2001, written by Rabbi Avram Reisner and also passed by a large majority in the, the CJLS, says, when the rabbis moved to require a quorum for communal public prayers and banned response absent a quorum, what they were really doing is trying to force the community to come together because otherwise one could fulfill all of their obligations alone. And they feared that the public communal structures would not develop. Still, almost everything can be done alone. And so they didn't go too far with it. They reserved what they called public praise, meaning the barhu and the kedusha, that's which we were not doing by Zoom. They reserved those two for the physical minion, thus validating most of everything else. And the Kaddish is actually a bit different because it's not in the category of public praise. And so therefore, one can fulfill their obligation by attaching electronically. Rabbi Reisner writes, the halacha as written seems to demand that togetherness be physical and tactile. But I could well imagine a definition of togetherness that was only auditory or visual. Indeed, the technology to cast our auditory and visual imprint far and wide did not exist in the reality that forced the ra- that faced the rabbis. Is it possible to imagine community based only on remote contact? People might well answer that question differently. And on a fundamental level, whether to go beyond the book halacha or not will be predicated on one's answer to that question. And that was written over 20 years ago. We owe it to our denomination as halachic to avoid pronouncements about what halacha must dictate without informing ourselves of what halacha manifests. In 2012, Rabbi Daniel Nevins submitted the 79-page tshuva, many tshuvot are only two or three pages, on the use of electrical and electronic devices on Shabbat. And the tshuva showed us, it was passed by 17 to 2 and 2 abstaining, it showed us what many of us already knew, the categories of workmanship, of milacha, prohibited on Shabbat in the Torah, many of them based on agriculture and building, do not apply to electricity. Feeble attempts at doing so over the past centuries by orthodox decisors, have been shown to be problematic by other orthodox decisors. 
One is not completing this building of a circuit by flipping a switch any more than one's completing a wall or a room by closing a door or completing their plumbing by turning on the faucet. And the most common argument that electricity is fire is problematic. The argument that sparks are flying through wires is not true by the laws of physics nor by common sense. And electricity does not cause filaments or wires to be consumed, which is a halachic requirement of fire. Nor does flipping a switch cause the burning of fossil fuels at a distance. Power plants produce capacity whether you flip your switch or not. And one is permitted to benefit from municipal fire production. Some have argued that electronic devices write to their screens or to their memory caches or hard drives, but temporary writing is permitted as long as it does not endure. One can write in the sand and build sandcastles. One can tie a shoelace, knowing that in the regular course of things it may become untied or it will become untied. Of course, one cannot tie a sailor's knot. A cache overwriting itself is not enduring. And this is not to say that the use of electronic appliances is totally fine. You cannot violate other prohibitions just because your appliance runs on electricity. You can't cook on Shabbat using an electric oven. You can't mow your lawn using an electric lawnmower. But electricity itself leaves no physical change on the environment, unlike fire and other forbidden types of workmanship. And this is very important to understand, because one might say one is just looking at an excuse to hurt the tradition. But often I find that that argument is made without reading the tradition. And I have always viewed the openings within the tradition as invitations for investigation, just as the words of the Torah are open to investigation. And without it, one's not listening. One question about streaming has to do with recording, because you're making a creation if you use YouTube. But as the tshuva says, even if we assume that recording is writing, which I think it is, it is permissible to benefit after Shabbat from labor done on Shabbat as long as it was not done by a Jewish person, and as long as one waits long enough after Shabbat for the work to be done. In other words, it is halakhically permissible to have a Shabbat non-Jew in the normal course of their duties, flip a switch to stream and record a service, as we've been doing at Beth Israel since we resumed in-person services. But the problem with electricity and halakha is a category unique to Shabbat, and it's real. It's not a violation of a prohibition that you can identify. It's the special category of Shavuot. We are commanded to rest. We are commanded to cultivate restfulness and an atmosphere of restfulness. The question of whether electricity should be prohibited or in principle permitted can only be answered, the tshuva tells us, by our searching our souls and answering whether a community that uses electricity is conducive to the spirit of Shabbat, the Shavuot that we are cultivating. Other things that communities have to decide about is whether reading books for class is permissible on Shabbat. Many decisors, our da'atras, say you can't do your homework on Shabbat even if it's just reading that psych textbook that you were assigned. I've had a very different experience in my life. I think one of the reasons I embrace the humanities as spiritual, as a process of self and community building, is because I used to read my assignments on Shabbat when I couldn't take notes, I couldn't highlight, and I couldn't write anything down. And then I realized there's a reason teachers are assigning these things to me, because when you sit with them and you read them, they're beautiful by themselves. 
Other categories that people prohibit, reading a newspaper. It'll just bring in the wrong spirit on Shabbat. That I kind of agree with. That disturbs my Shabbat rest. Window shopping. Actually, the whole issue of music really comes down to Shavuot as well. It's not so much the playing of the instrument, but whether it disturbs the peace. And a community in its Mar Atra, the local rabbinic decisor, can decide to prohibit anything they deem contrary to the cultivation of the spirit of Shabbat. In other words, halacha won't get us out of this question. It is permitted in a conservative synagogue to use electricity. The question is whether it changes the character of the community for the worse. It's not appropriate to say, well, I'm no expert on halakha, but having a camera streaming the service is a clear violation of halakha, because it isn't. And it's too easy an answer for the real work we have to do, which is, of the technologies that we've adopted, what does it mean to be a community? How can we make a community? And are the choices that we make conducive to creating holy community, or are they not? We can't avoid the work in our lives or halachically by making assumptions. That is real cheshbon nefesh. It's real figuring out who we want to be. It's spiritually demanding work. It imposes on our time. God help the person who turns to the internet to ask the question. You'll get lots of answers. I really appreciate the words of Rabbi Josh Heller in the tshuva past 19 to 3 with three abstentions on May 13, 2020. He writes this. When we stream the surface and allow Zoom, do we change what we're doing from a service to putting on a show? Will we be tempted to play to the cameras? Will large synagogues with deeper pockets be capable of production values smaller congregations can only dream about, hastening their departure? Will streaming encourage the breakdown of local Jewish communities as Jews tune into communities far away with inspiring, charismatic celebrity rabbis? Will streaming harm attendance at synagogue detract from the making of community? Will streaming encourage laziness of those who don't wish to have to travel to synagogue? And will electricity itself, are we destroying the ember of Shabbat holiness that has been bequeathed to us as our inheritance? One of the questions we need to ask is how much of this is fear and prediction? Fear of the future is not really part of cheshbon nefesh, taking an accounting to know what to do in the future. An honest appraisal of oneself and one community is. So I want to share what I think a little bit of that appraisal looks like. I know for some, it is right down to their kishkas that we are destroying the inheritance of Judaism and Shabbat if we consider continuing streaming services into the future. I hope you're happy putting on a show. I can see you're enjoying your toys. For the record, I've enjoyed none of it. I've done my very best to swallow my immense sense of imperfection and inadequacy in serving the congregation during the pandemic and to use whatever means to fulfill the Mishnah Avot's exhortation to try to greet others with a cheerful countenance. And that's what I've tried to do. It's not been fun for me to spend my hours teaching myself how to use broadcasting software or learning about the technologies of cameras. I know for some, the word davening can only apply to hearing the music of those joining in with you. I know what they mean. With no offense to any of your voices, I tend to hear the sanctuary as a group of frogs joining in chorus at the pond. 
because for 10 years I lived in a cabin on 300 empty acres in the woods with a pond next door, listening to those frogs joining together and making minion. There was nothing like it. It's an amazing experience of Earth coming alive with song, and I don't think one hears that chorus if the frogs were zooming into the pond. I know for many in our community, there's no way to separate the deep sense of loss and isolation they've experienced from trying virtual services and finding that that experience, far from relieving their sense of isolation and hopelessness, very much compounded it. To suggest their continuation after COVID is like suggesting reliving the woundedness. And there's the accounting on the other side of the ledger. We have 440 member units. How many come to synagogue? As one wrote me, you know, Rabbi, I left off coming to synagogue many decades ago, though I'm fully invested in Pesach, Hanukkah, and I make Shabbat dinner at home. But honestly, I don't know Hebrew, and a lot of the Hebrew prayers, well, it just hasn't put me in a spiritual space, as deep as I get with other modalities from walks to books. But my husband and I started to put on the service on Saturday morning while we sit around the house and make lunch. Hearing the prayers and especially the sermon, it has become our Shabbat ritual. I never would have thought the Saturday morning service would be a part of my future. And here we are. From someone else. I have small children. I actually love coming to synagogue, but they don't. And honestly, we like the Friday evening service the best, and bedtime and feeding them takes precedence. And now we listen to the service while we make challah and eat dinner. And sometimes I catch my kids singing the prayers to themselves during the week. Another. When my mom died, I couldn't attend Minyan every day at Beth Israel. I just can't get there at 7.30 every day, given my life responsibilities and work. When I went, it was beautiful. There's nothing like having people there knowing why you're there and feeling their support and presence. But this year, I've been able to say Kaddish every day, and I can't tell you how meaningful that has been. Is there any way you can continue allowing Zoom Minion so I can attend in person when I can, but also participate when I can't? Another. At Shiva, people showed up from around the world. Family and friends came from Israel. Colleagues, friends, disciples from around the country to see the influence, the blessings that my parent left on the world was deeply comforting. And finally, I'm calling out Beth Israel's newest member, okay? Friday night services a couple weeks ago, someone came up to me, I now, we are already friends, said, Rav Nadav, I'm proud to be Beth Israel's newest member. I said, welcome to the community. And they said, well, I need to tell you, you're my fourth membership. I'm going to give them grief about this forever. During the pandemic, I've joined ECAR and Six and I online. But you're still important to me. <laughs> Rabbi Mike Urim, executive director of Hillel at the University of Pennsylvania and author of Next Generation Judaism, says, look, I'm 41 years old. When I was in college, we all got together in the dorm lounge and watched Friends and Seinfeld before we went out to parties on Thursday nights. But no one in college is getting together to watch TV now other than sports. But they're watching the same shows, but not in the same room. They're streaming them on their phones or on their laptops. They binge watch so that, um, so they are, so they're out, because they binge watch, they're out of sync with each other. If legacy institutions can't provide Jewish content to two generations of Jews 
who want to bring more Judaism into their lives, but in the way they receive their content. And I don't know where those institutions will be, although I do think that's fear. One can say negative things about what they want, what these generations want, and how they receive their friendships and their content and their politics and their community. But research has shown that millennials want to be co-creators in their experiences and in what they consume. They want to feel like it's just for them. To say that we won't provide a way for them to experience Judaism like they experience everything else. It's like saying we can't bring books, but one must learn from one-to-one interaction. Rabbi, you don't know me. We We haven't come in probably 10 years, when my husband was confined to a wheelchair. We'd come sometimes anyway, and people would make a place for the chair, but then it would block the Torah procession. And honestly, it was hard to get in and out of the car. And so you've never met us. But this year, we've been streaming the service, and we feel like we know you, and we feel connected. And that's why I feel comfortable reaching out to you at this very difficult time. Rabbi, Rabbi, I'm calling you because I need to tell you that I can't come in person. I haven't been able to come in person for some time, given my physical condition. And now I'm entering hospice. Being able to stream the service has been a lifeline for me. I see old friends from Beth Israel show up. I hear the melodies I grew up with. It's made me feel in love with Beth Israel again. I may not be around to see it, but I hope it continues. I'm reminded that evil in the Torah and in Jewish tradition is identified as the tribe of Amalek, who attacked the stragglers of the Jewish people as we left Egypt, the young who couldn't keep up, the old and infirm who couldn't keep up. And the rabbis raised the question in the Midrash, why did those who were strong in front not remember to stay back with the stragglers and protect them too? Why were not they remembered? As Rabbi Heller says in his tshuva, technological means can be a way of enhancing human safety and dignity. It is just as likely that for every person who sees streaming as an easy out and chooses not to attend a service in person, there's someone else who might otherwise skip prayer altogether or who would view an alternate service lacking the basic components of the liturgy. A study of the music industry, and this is in the tshuva, pointed out that now as artists are forced to give away their content for free, they have found that, on, that audiences willing to show up to hear them in person have increased. So it is not necessarily triggered absence, but presence. As a community, I strongly sense we are polarized on what we've learned from streaming services this year. I know for some, the idea of even continuing the stream and what that would mean, which we haven't done yet, is basically hiding the cameras. One of the reasons we haven't done it yet is because I wanted, when it's done, even if it's temporary, I want it done right because I'm a perfectionist and I don't want to notice it. So what I want is it to be hidden so that we forget about it like we forget about the emergency lights and that we don't need to play to the camera and that it's seamless for the people who are here. But for others, there's no way to separate how connected it has made them feel. There is always a danger, says Halakha, that what gets permitted for one reason will get permitted overall. But maybe this has taught us a way to be more inclusive. Does technology destroy Shabbat? It certainly can. Or is Halakha maybe trying to show us it's not the technology that's forbidden, 
It's whether you're truly using it in the service of God and whether you're willing to be judged before the Holy One, not before others who have an opinion in the life that we're creating. And maybe there's a way to continue it in which we find that even those outside the temple walls are hearing our voices, words of Torah and connection. We are accustomed to feel that each of us knows what's best for our community, and the community does, but community doesn't happen by adding up and weighing voices. Just as our own cheshbon nefesh, our own deciding which oaths and changes we wish to make in our lives, that's not done just by sifting what is logical and weighing others' recommendations. Logic comes to an end, and moral imagination comes to the fore. Shuva is an act of creation. Who do we want to be, individually and collectively? Where are our windows? Are we seeing everyone? Are we inviting them to see us? How can we be a house of Israel? Shana Tovah.